Welcome back to Mike and Maurice's Mind Escape. Let us help you escape your mind. Maurice's Mind Escape. We have episode number 119 today. Uh, we're going to be discussing Edgar Casey um, with Dr. Gregory Little. Uh, Dr. Gregory Little is a psychologist, author, and ancient mound researcher. He His recent book, Denisovan or- Origins, um, just came out not that long ago. Check it out. We did an episode on it with him before. Uh, he co-authored it with Andrew Collins. Great book. Highly recommend it. Um, and I have all of his information down below the video if you want to go check out his uh, website, freedomtochange.org. And um, also I have the link to his Amazon books. Go check that out. He is the author and co-author of roughly 40 books. And um, we're glad to have him back on the show. How are you doing, Dr. Gregory? I am doing great. It's a pleasure to be here. Uh, sorry about the to everybody about what's going on in the world mm-hmm. and but this too shall pass eventually, and a lot of people are gonna are hurting and so on. But we're all sharing it, so we'll get through it. Absolutely. Nice. Well, thanks for coming on. We appreciate it. Yeah. Well, thank you. You guys are great. You have a you have a great show. You get a good response. You do a really good job. Oh, I appreciate it. Yeah. I mean, this is just our quest. You know, we're just sharing our quest for knowledge and interesting topics with people and trying to put credible information out there. Uh, without trying to be dogmatic either way, I guess. Um, but uh, we appreciate it. And uh, we got a great response when you were on last time, too. There's a lot of uh, Dr. Gregory fans out there as well. So <laughs> I've been around a while. <laughs> and we're going to talk about Edgar Casey today, aren't yeah, we? Yeah, yeah. So last, right. last time you were on, we discussed your newer book, uh, Denisovan Origins. Amazing topic. Um, and you mentioned, you slid in there that you knew a lot about Edgar Casey and how um, your wife's involved with ARE and everything. So why don't you give us a little bit of a background with how you got into the Edgar Casey stuff and, um, you know, where that all began? Well, it, it's actually a long story because it goes back to the 1970s. And I was in, uh, I have a bachelor's degree and master's degree in psychology. My doctorate's in counseling and educational psychology. But, but back in the 70s, I was in um, training to be what is called a psychopharmacologist, uh, which is uh, the study of how drugs work in the brain. It overlaps with uh, pharmacology, which is the devel- development of drugs and so on. But I got very interested in people's strange experiences. Uh, I was interested in, oh, like uh, Joan of Arc. Uh, and somewhere along the way, around 1971 or so, I stumbled upon this guy called Edgar Casey. Casey is considered the greatest psychic in American history ever. Uh, Casey's also considered and has been dubbed the father of holistic health in the United States by the American Medical Association. Uh, They even recognize Casey's contributions. Mm. But when I stumbled upon Casey, my main interest was he had an experience at age 13, which was the same experience that the same kind of experience in the same age when Joan of Arc had her experience. And he 
was uh, visited by what what is interpreted as an angel. He was in the woods, and he was born in Hopkinsville, Kentucky. So he was in a very rural, remote area. Age 13, it was actually uh, 1890 when this event happened. And the angel appeared to him while he was reading the Bible. Mm. And he was reading a story in the Bible called the story of Manoah. And the story of Manoah is about Manoah being visited by an angel. Mm. So it's quite an interesting coincidence. This female asked him, female angel that had what looked like wings on her back, asked him what he most wanted to do in life. And he sh- he was kind of startled by it, but he shot back, uh, I'd like to help people, mainly children. Mm-hmm. And the angel smiled at him and said, it will be yours, and then simply disappeared. Now, Edgar ran home and told his mother they were fundamentalist Christians, which he remained throughout his entire life, fundamentalist Christians. And he told his mother about this, and she said, maybe it means you'll be a doctor, but don't talk about this to anybody. Uh, Just don't tell anybody. Now, Edgar actually, even before age 13, had all these experiences where— he would see little people, he would see deceased people, and it started when he was a young child and he had a traumatic event occur where he saw his grandfather fall off of a horse on the farm and he was knocked out and he fell into a puddle of water. And within moments, his grandfather actually drowned. And Edgar didn't know what to do, he was just a little kid at the time. But from that moment on, he started seeing these small entities, these little people, and he started talking and seeing dead people, literally. Uh, Mm. So he had these strange experiences. Casey had uh, started giving these readings, and I'm still telling how I got into it. Uh, And I became very interested in how in the world this guy, through what could only be called some sort of psychic ability, was able to diagnose people at a distance, their health problems, and then recommend a remedy, and the remedies almost always worked. And again, the American Medical Association had published a lot, and that got my interest because I was fascinated with strange, bizarre events in people's lives that changed them forever. Mm -hmm. So that is what caught my interest with Casey. And somewhere in the 70s, I gave my wife a book called There's a River, and she got interested in it. As time progressed, uh, I started writing in uh, the—my first book came out in 1984. It was called The Archetype Experience. Uh, That's basically when we joined the Casey organization. I talked about Edgar Casey in that book quite a bit. Uh, Casey, for example, um, said there was life— all over the universe, that almost all stars had planets around them. Now, he said this around 1923 and 24, Mm -hmm. at a time when that was bizarre. But unlike other psychics, Casey said that no other planets in our solar system were inhabited. 
by people like us, by animal life, which is interesting because all the other psychics that had been around said other planets were inhabited by beings like us. All the contactees that occurred in the 1950s said that the planets were inhabited and they were coming from Venus or Uranus or somewhere like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Casey said none of the planets here were inhabited by life. So that that got me interested too. Uh, in any event, as as time progressed, we got more involved with the ARE. Uh, around 1990, my wife and I started uh, assisting the ARE in some of their ancient mysteries work. Around the year 2000, some 19 years ago, uh, we started as the editors of a publication called Ancient Mysteries that came out monthly. Uh, it was a publication for the ARE for members. Mm. Uh, we led some tours to Indian mounds. Uh, for the ARE. I was asked by the ARE to do a study on what Edgar Casey said about Native American Indian mounds. Casey actually gave 68 readings, psychic readings, we haven't got into all that yet, uh, that that talked about Indian mounds. Uh, and it was a, a book that we put out called Mound Builders. It had a subtitle with Edgar Casey in it. And that really kind of cemented our relationship with the Casey organization. So we've been involved with it ever since. Um, we are lifetime members. We have to die to get out of the organization. It's like a <laughs> and gang. Then, but then, <laughs> blood yeah, but blood Casey in, blood out. Reincarnation. Yeah, they they say that, hey, it doesn't matter when you come back in your next life, you're still going to be a member (laughs) anyway. (laughs) So they kind of trick you with that. But anyway, uh, my wife uh, has been on the uh, board of trustees now for I think it's eight years. I can't recall. Uh, And she's been the uh, chairperson. We used to always say chairman because they were always men. But she's the chairperson of the board of trustees of the ARE, which is the Association for Research and Enlightenment, the official member organization Mm -hmm. uh, of the Edgar Casey Group. She's also the chair of the board of the Edgar Casey Foundation and Atlantic University, which is housed and runs out of the ARE. So that's kind of our relationship with all that. But I kind of glossed over Casey's life. And if you want to get into that, we can do that. But that's really up to you. Yeah, no, I mean, uh, we can jump in and out i do want to ask you a question though so he was born in um hopkins 1877 1877 in hopkinsville correct hopkinsville is also famous for a project blue book um scenario where these i don't know these people were living in it's kind of a rural area correct if i'm not mistaken i've been i've been to the house you're about to talk about the kelly hopkinsville goblin case sure i've been there And, and recently that's actually been kind of uh re-emerging into the public spotlight not just from the new pub uh, uh project blue book show on history channel but also there is a newer doc paranormal documentary called hellier where it's kind of looking yeah. into similar things in roughly the same area um supposedly there's this cave system in, that runs throughout yeah. the united states and they're kind of correlating to that um do you think that there's some sort of weird paranormal connection there not to get too woo woo right now but I mean, that's kind of unique that one of the craziest UFO sightings in American history is aligned with the same spot where the America's all-time psychic is from. So, It is uh, the Kelly Hopkinsville event. Uh, actually, when we, we, we always say Casey was born in Hopkinsville because the, the, the little town, which no longer exists where he was born, uh, had, was later 
annexed by Hopkinsville. Mm. And right adjacent to it is this little town of Kelly. And Kelly is where these, this goblin case occurred. And it's all kind of rolling hills there. There's a lot of farms. Casey's had a farm uh, very, very close to it. And to answer your question, I don't think it's woo-woo. Yes, there are these bizarre geologic, electromagnetic gravity anomalies in that area. Uh, I noticed that in 1984 and published that link in that book called The Archetype Experience, that there was some sort of a link between the 1955 Kelly Hopkinsville case that had 11 witnesses see these little green sort of creatures. Uh, And that's where these green aliens come from. Mm -hmm. Everything comes from that. Oh, they didn't say they were all green, but they kind of look like goblins or fairies. Um, The 11 witnesses, the Suttons and the Taylors uh, at their farm, um, they wound up going to Hopkinsville to the police department there, and then they went back home to Kelly, and it all happened over again. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think there is a link there. Uh, and actually, that's going to be much more uh, much more explored in the book that Andrew Collins and I have been working on now ever since Denisovan Origins came out. We're working on a totally new thing, and it is going to directly address that. And Andrew has been in touch with the people that are doing the series Hellier. Mm, okay. Uh, so that's the answer to your question. I've seen him post a couple things about that. Yeah, I'm excited to uh, see what comes out of all this because it is kind of an interesting correlation for sure. Um, but back to Edgar Casey. So um, you mentioned the angel and uh, the story. We do have one of our uh, top listeners here, History Shift. He, uh, he's always with us here when he, uh, we go live. He has a question. He wanted to know what was your take on that with like having to do with like Mormons and Mormonism, because that's actually kind of similar. With Casey, you mean? Yeah, I mean, is there or, any or Mass? Is there no, is there any correlation? Yeah, I mean, I guess for, for either of those topics. Um, well, Casey did talk about um, the Book of Mormon. Uh, my wife has written, my wife co-authored a book with one of the directors of the ARE back in 1999, uh, and it was called The Lost Hall of Records. And in it, they had uh, maybe 50 pages devoted to certain Mormon beliefs. Uh, and there, there is, uh, there appears to be some truth to the whole story. Uh, in terms of the dates uh, that they suggest people came into the Yucatan, uh, the Book of Mormon talks about two different groups coming into both sides, the Pacific and the Atlantic side, uh, in certain dates. And whether or not you want to believe in the, I don't believe in it. And I'll tell you, I don't disbelieve either. Uh, there's a lot of things in this world that skeptics will say, ah, oh, that's not true because there's no evidence. Well, there's a lot of things that I don't believe in but I can immediately say I do not disbelieve in them. What I do know is this, that there is a lot of credibility to some of the historical timelines, and I'm talking about prehistorical timelines, that are given in the Book of Mormon. I do not believe that white people made the mounds. I want to make that very clear, or a lost white race. The people that made the Indian mounds that we see today 
were the ancestors of the current Native American tribes that still exist. The people that made the pyramids and structures we see in Central and South America were the ancestors of the Inca, the ancestors of the Maya, the Aztec, and so on. Now, where they all came from is another story entirely. I think, and I've written and said repeatedly that whatever we call Native Americans and their ancestry, it is far richer and far more diverse than anybody has realized. They, uh, the Americas were a melting pot of peoples that came here probably as early as 300,000 years ago. Mm -hmm. And a lot of that is in that book, Denise of an Origins. Mm -hmm. Casey actually recognized that in his readings. And some of the places where he would talk about the, the Mormon ideas, and I hate actually calling them Mormons because they don't like that. It's Church of Latter-day Saints. Uh, but a lot of their ideas, Casey said, had validity. Uh, and the way that he would word it is some. He said some... There is some truth to their entire belief system, but he didn't say things like, uh, well, Jesus never walked here. Mm -hmm. Jesus didn't reincarnate over here or come over here and walk around the earth. He didn't say that, but he didn't say he didn't either. Uh, and I think my, my whole idea as a psychologist is, um, and this is why I get so angry sometimes at skeptics who want to say there is no God, you know, and you got to quit believing in God. And anybody that believes in spiritual stuff, they need we need to get rid of that and we need to get rid of all the books in it. I think whatever gives people peace and solace and makes their life better, makes their life more enjoyable and makes them a better person. We need to allow that. And we all there's people that think they're superior to everyone else. Um and it, it's, it, it just disgusts me. We need to allow people the freedom to believe what they want to believe as long as they're not hurting other people. Mm. And the South Park did a great thing on Mormons. Mm. Their whole, yeah. and even Mormons, <laughs> like, South Park's episode, and at the, I remember the very end of it because it's great. And it's like, the, the, I think it was Kyle, that uh, Stan, it was Stan that, that sat there and said, uh, I don't care whether it's true or not. They're actually good people. Mm -hmm. And even the kids that were the Mormons in it said, we don't know if it's true. and We don't care, but we really like our lives. It makes us better people. We like our family. We like other people. They have really good morals and good values. And I think that matters. And to mm -hmm. me, that's really what matters here. If your belief system helps you and helps the world, so be it. It's a good thing. So I, I'm, geez, you guys got me on a soapbox No, that's there. what we want. So, um, <laughs> but it, you bring up an interesting point. Something we, I, I battle with this almost every single day because I can't stop thinking about all these weird and interesting things we talk about on the show. And I'm yeah. sure uh, other people interested in these topics think about it's this constant battle of like, what do I know? How do I know it? But also, um, should I believe this? Is this nonsense? Because we are stuck in this physical world. However, I will say this. Um, I went through kind of like a, a spiritual awakening three years ago. That's kind of why we got into doing this podcast. Um, not that I wasn't interested in these topics before, but I just never really put a lot of time into it. Um, since then, it's been this gradual chipping away till I've gotten to the point where I'm a little skeptical, but I'm also a believer in a lot of the metaphysical things that have some basis to them. Now, 
when I believed more, there was a better sense. I had like more of a better outlook on things. There was not like, oh, I'm going to go to heaven or anything like that, but just it made me want to be a better person learning more and I had a better feeling. There was like a synergistic effect happening. And since I've creeped a little bit more skeptical and looked a little bit more into the hard sciences and um, mainstream stuff, it kind of sucked a little bit of that out of it. And some people would say, oh, yeah, that's because those things don't exist or whatever, but they can't prove that. And you mentioned God, I can't prove that there's no God and I can't prove that there is a God. So if I had to pick Mm -hmm. one that would offer me a better quality of life, I would probably pick believing in God. Cause I think that taking some of that pressure off your shoulders might not be the worst thing. Well, you just verbalized probably one of the deepest conundrums any of us face. Um, Yeah. And I've I've been through the same thing too. Um, basically, what we know is this: you're here, and you make certain choices that affect your life, uh, and really that's all you control. You know that thing, freedom to change. That that we're one of uh, the websites that I'm on. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's what it's all about. There's only one thing you control, and that's what you do. You can control what you believe in too, and that's it. Uh, I am in a battle with skeptics very often, although I'm not. Uh, I'm I'm more in a battle with trying to clean up what I consider their mess. Uh, I think people are entertained by something like Ancient Aliens, the show. Mm-hmm. I don't. I don't believe. I probably don't believe five percent of the things on the show Ancient Aliens that they that they put out. Mm-hmm. But I will say this: it is very entertaining. And I get to see archaeological sites that there's no other way I'm ever going to get to see those sites. And they are putting out a lot of real science. They are using science to make something that's very entertaining. Hmm. Uh, And I think that's okay. I don't see anything wrong with it. But we have to choose what to believe in it. And it's like I said when I started all this. You were asking how I got interested in it. I've been interested in strange experiences that people have had. I have had my own share of strange experiences. And I'm willing to bet that the two of you that I'm looking at have had your <laughs> your strange experiences. I have. So, Maurice, uh, we did an episode on it. Maurice, not so much. A couple of light flickers, some fresh prints intuition. That's about it. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, there's this thing that I can do maybe later and maybe get him to have some. But Ooh, um, sounds interesting. Ah, uh, yeah. Well, it actually, I'll maybe we can get to that later. Okay. That's it's that is one of the strangest things I've ever encountered, and I've wondered what to do with it. But anyway, um, geez, I, I I understand the tension between skepticism and just being open belief, but the way I handle it is that I find stuff just interesting. Mm. And I have I have accepted the fact that I'm not going to know, mm-hmm. and I have to be okay, that I'm, I'm okay with not knowing. I'm okay with that. And that's where you have to get to just say, wow, that's really interesting. And somebody says, oh, I mean, I get bizarre things from people all the time that say, hey, do you think this is true? I figured this thing out. Mm-hmm. And, I, and my answer is, you know, that's really interesting. I don't have any idea, but it's interesting. And uh, what I'm telling them is, I don't know if what you're saying is true or not, even preposterous ideas that people propose to me. Sure. I don't write them back and say, that's complete nonsense. You're a whack job. I don't do that. Right. And I'm not going to. Yeah, I think that there's 
There's a fine line, right? And as I mentioned, going through my own process, I've learned that the fringe is actually a lot smaller than I thought it was, but it's still there. Um, however, I don't, it's, 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 again, it's weird. It's this back and forth shift of, do I believe, do I don't, you know, is this something, but then you look at something like religion and they're not even asking you, or they're not even giving you science because they're just saying you just have to believe. That's faith. Believe, yeah. yeah. That's just what it well, is. And well, let me pose that. Let me pose something to you. Uh, just a, a couple questions and then kind of a final thing. Mm-hmm. This is something I've never done before. I've never had this discussion on any show before like this. Uh, and the beauty of this, of the way we do this stuff, I think it's fantastic because I can see you. I can see your responses and you can see me. And that's great. Better than the regular radio, the old radio shows right, where right, you had to right. call. But okay, so uh, do you accept the fact that people ha- that some people have really had genuine strange experiences? Yes, but I am skeptical of some stories. Uh, no, I'm not. Okay, uh, it's maybe some. So have, just you just want a yes or no? Well, no. Do you believe that the people, the eleven witnesses in the Kelly Hopkinsville event, saw something? Yes. Yes. Okay. All right. Do you believe that uh, Edgar Casey, this strange guy? Uh, who has 14,300 and some documented readings and over 50,000 pages and had probably 50 doctors, physicians sit with him and ask him questions under and publish articles in medical journals. Do you believe that that actually occurred where these doctors did this with that man laying there and there's even film up? Do you believe that happened? Yes, and I will say... I'm not asking you got to okay. believe whether it's true or right, not. Right, right. I'm just asking if you think it happened. It's very strange. Yes, okay. yes, I believe that it happened, yes. Do you believe Joan of Arc existed? Uh, yes, yes. I, are you familiar with her stories All the and all the witnesses to her stories? Right. Yeah, I mean, as far as like the metaphysical things associated with it or just that she was a real person in history? She was a real person in history who uh, convinced the king of France... Uh, if you know the, if you know what actually occurred, and this is all written down, you know, I've the read the story. Yeah, I can't. I, but yeah, I, the fact that she influ- the, had the power to influence somebody's thought right. with what right. she had experienced. Yes, I believe that. Okay, and there's there's loads of other things. Do you believe Abraham Lincoln had a dream about him dying and people seeing his coffin? Mm, I don't know that story, uh, but if okay. you're telling, right. well, you, if you don't, you're, no, you're telling it to me now. I would say, yeah, I believe. I don't. Why would he lie? Okay. Link, a, a few months before he died, Lincoln had this dream. Told his wife it was documented. It was written down, and he saw his uh, himself laying in a coffin in, in the I don't remember the rotunda, and people were filing through looking at him. Okay, so those are just a honest few Abe, right? I mean, like, yeah. What am I? Well, gonna, yeah, I'm going to go against George this guy. Washington. Never told a lie. We all know that. Yeah. Washington was really almost a, he lied a lot. We know that. Another story. Right. But okay. So, but people have had these really strange experiences. Constantine saw a cross in that what he thought was a cross in the sky. That's all documented. Loads of historical things. Yeah, he converted the, the, to Christianity on his deathbed, correct? Exact. Well, it was before that. He said he would convert to Christianity if he won that battle after he saw the cross mm. in the sky. Okay, so anyway, you take all these stories. There's countless ones. I'm just going through a few. Mm-hmm. If you accept that those stories are real, then you have to accept that there is something going on. Mm. something maybe it's remarkable coincidence but there is truly something 
that is unknown, that we that science doesn't quite have a handle on how this happens. How do some people how are some people able to predict things or know things? How are some people to have uh, dreams that predict things? Why is it that some people have these profound experiences like Joan of Arc or Edgar Casey that changes their life forever and changes thousands of people's lives forever? Mm-hmm. So there's something there, and that's where I'm at. And so I don't. I know that I'm never going to know for certain what that is. Me too. And, and I'm okay with that. Me too. And you have to you have to accept it. So I can be skeptic about some things. There's some things people present to me. Uh, the hollow earth theory, for example, uh, I wrote. I got a lot of flack for this in mm-hmm. the 1980s. I got loads of letters back in the days when everybody had to write snail mail. 1984, that book, The Archetype Experience, came out, and I wrote in it that I see the hollow earth theory as the hollow head theory because you cannot be serious and think the entire earth is hollow and there's another big civilization living on the other side. We know that's not true. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm -hmm. But a lot of people got upset and actually learned a lesson from that. I could have said that as it's, 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 it's a uh, hypothesis with absolutely no real evidence. Uh, I should have just left it go at that. Mm. Uh, But there are some things that are ridiculous. We know are ridiculous, but there is a tremendous amount of stuff it is very strange, unexplained, and it's real. And we don't know where it all comes from. There's only theories. Mm-hmm. Skeptics will tell you it's all nonsense. And what I'm telling you is it's not all nonsense. No. It may be some of people's theories about it are nonsense. But it's not all nonsense. There is something very real in the unknown. Yeah, and it's a lot of these things. I just think it's the fact that observational science or science hasn't caught up with whatever's going on. And I'm not saying that it's not mystical or metaphysical. It's just that metaphysical literally means not being able to observe, or it's you know it's a theory oh, yeah. based on speculation or deductive reasoning, kind of. Well, uh, science too. The the closer they look at things, the more there is to see. It's like the mm-hmm. the world of physics and quantum mechanics, and they go deeper and deeper. And ultimately, now they're telling, "Oh, what binds it all together is dark matter. You can't see it." Mm. I mean, think about think of, that's almost a metaphysical idea. If a metaphysical person said, "Oh, there's a mystical force in the universe, and you can't see it, mm. but it glues everything together," well, that's ridiculous. Yeah. No, it's, prove it's, it. Extreme physics. Yeah. yeah, but it. But but it's physics. Physics relies upon something now that's totally unknown right. and probably, as far as we know, unknowable. Even something is yeah. Even something as empirical as math. Um, even math is just so like one plus one equals two. It's it's repeating it. Most math repeats itself. We, when I told yes. you one plus one, I told you two. But we have yes. to go through this process that we've created of simplifying the the symbolism of these quantities if you will yeah um now i want to jump back for a second because you were talking about uh some of these metaphor metaphysical things and influencing reality and yesterday we did an episode on carl jung with one of our buddies who studies carl Uh jung and research and and, uh shout out to lee um and i i was telling him i just finished was finished reading um a modern man's search for a soul uh by jung and There's a story in there where he's talking about dream analysis where there was a hiker or mountain climber that would go up on the mountain with, uh, um, or he, you know, he would go 
climbing alone a lot. And one night he had a nightmare that he died up on the mountain because he was alone from some unknown circumstances. Uh, so he explained this to Young, and Young analyzed it and went through it. And um, I think it was the Swiss Alps, too. And then so the guy kept going up, even though, you know, Young was like, hey, you might want to, you know, pay attention to this. And he kept going up, and he went up the next time with somebody. Um, and I guess something happened, but they came out of it okay. They went back up, or he went back up a couple weeks later by himself and ended up dying on the mountain. So, mm -hmm. you know, the whole point of that was to say, well, he had a premonition of his own death. You could say, oh, well, that's just because he's a mountain climber and he goes up uh, all the time and the chances yeah. of that happening are a little bit higher. But I would say there's something then built into consciousness where you've brought that into the world. Maybe it's a path that you have the ability to live out if you choose or, or something avoid. or avoid exactly and yeah. i think that 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 fork in the road thing is something i've experienced myself not i don't ever look back and go what if but you do tend to look at how would things have played out differently if that happened so yeah you're absolutely right that by the way carl jung um I, I talked about that 1984 book. It's out of print. You can't. I mean, it's almost impossible to buy, and it's a fortune if you can find one called The Archetype Experience. It was a follow-up to Carl Jung's last book, which was published in 1959, and it was called uh, Jung's last book was called Flying Saucers: A Modern Myth of Things Seen in the Sky. Mm. Most people don't know that the last stuff Jung was in, interested in was mm. the the flying saucer phenomenon, uh, and a lot of people have. Uh, Again, this is all working on this new book with Andrew. I'm revisiting all this. Sure. Uh, Jung, Jung came to the conclusion that uh, his actual quote is, something is seen, one doesn't know what. Mm. Uh, and he said that over and over and over in, in some publications and in that book. But Jung was convinced that there's something very real to it, and we don't know what it is. And, of course, he brought synchronicity into it. Uh, my actual subtitle of that book, The Archetype, experience was resolving the ufo myth using carl jung's concept of synchronicity uh, and i was very interested in that but my point again being that jung believed that there was something quite real to it mm. although he didn't know what it was um, and he was actually he actually talked to a few people who had claimed contactee experiences uh, and he was around during the whole contactee experience uh, and he believed that something important was happening with that, and there was something physically real that manifested, which he said were essentially archetypes. Mm. But again, that's all uh, another whole story, but I wanted to mention that about Jung. Jung is one who will convince you that there really is something that I'll, I'll call paranormal or supernatural in that we don't understand it. That it's not, it doesn't appear to be normal uh, in the sense of we think of cause and effect or, the, or physics, uh, or it's supernatural in that it appears to be outside the laws of nature. Hmm. That's what I mean by that. But, but yeah, the, if you read Jung, you'll conclude that the world really is not what it appears to be. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, I think he's a good kind of a conduit between the material and the... Uh 
immaterial immaterial in the, yeah. the way that he did his uh psychoanalysis and all that but uh back to edgar casey so oh yeah okay I do want to get into a little bit. We made a short video on Atlantis for one of our other channels when we first got going, which we since have abandoned because it's just too too time yeah, consuming too to do all this stuff at once. But we were doing like top fives, like top five location, likely locations of Atlantis. And we yeah. put a little bit of time into it. Um, and there was like a one year difference. I remember when we made it between Edgar Casey's uh, prediction of when Atlantis would be found and when they found the Bimini Road, if I'm not Bimini mistaken. Road. Uh, well, no, I, I, my wife and I, I think I've told you that we, I, I didn't even go into that. Uh, starting in 2001, my wife and I kind of took over what is called the AREs, which is the Casey Organization mm -hmm. Search for Atlantis Project. We, we, over the next, uh, 14 years, we made 25 week long trips into the Bahamas alone. We also did some looking for what's called the Hall of Records. Uh, which is part of Atlantis. Oh, we'll get uh, to Casey, that. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Casey, Casey in 1927 and 1932 predicted that a portion of Atlantis would rise again in 1968 or 1969, and he then added not so far away. So he said a portion of Atlantis would rise again, and he was talking about uh, an area near Bimini uh, in the Bahamas. Bimini is a very small seven-mile-long island that is roughly 50 to 52 miles due um, east of Miami and Fort Lauderdale. Hmm. Uh, and it is the closest Bahama island to uh, to the United States. Uh, so the the Bimini Road was was reported in 1968. So in 1968, there was uh, a lot of interest. Actually, when, when Casey very first made that prediction in the 30s, uh, the, the ARE was already a fairly strong organization. And several people immediately went to the Bahamas and went to Bimini and started looking around, including some pilots that started flying around in the 30s. Mm. And they found what they believed was the Fountain of Youth. And there's actually on Bimini, uh, there is a little tourist spot that you go to near the airport there. And you walk into the jungle, and there's a paved way in. And then there is a fountain there, uh, a well, that has stone around it. And you can drink out of what there's a sign there says, this is the Fountain of Youth. Um, uh, I, there's a story I don't want to tell about it, so I won't tell it. Okay. But anyway, <laughs> um, that was initially found by Casey people then, and they found another site uh, that was a well that had these weird inscriptions on rocks uh, that has actually kind of been lost. Uh, there have been groups in the last couple years uh, based from the ARE that are s still trying to find this place where these rocks with some inscriptions were on. But they didn't find anything. And it was in 1968 when uh, two pilots by the name of Brush and Adams uh, were flying a load of chickens, actually, mm. from Puerto Rico to the United States. And they were flying a Connie, uh, a constellation. And they were flying relatively low. 
uh, and they went over Southern Andros Island, Southern Andros mm -hmm. Island, and they saw these two circles in the water, and they opened up the window, they, the co-pilot opened the window, shot with a brownie camera two pictures of these circles, brought them back, and it made news. That was in 1968. Then there were some other people, Dmitry Rebikov, who was a French um, um, oceanographer with a Ph.D., uh, he came over and started working with a guy by the name of J. Manson Valentine, who was a biologist with a Ph.D. He ran the Miami, uh, one of the Miami museums, Miami Museum of Natural History. And they started looking around the Bahamas, too. And they tried to find those circles that the two guys found, the two pilots found, couldn't find them. And but they found a formation that looks like the letter E, the cursive letter E. I've told this story and mm. it's like that. The little letter E. Now from the from the air looking down, there's like an E on the bottom. So they found that, and they started. They were looking really for structures under the water. Near that letter E, they found a rectangular structure. Uh, they they publicized the photograph, made big news, uh, front page, and on the Miami newspaper. We actually made a documentary in this and showed some of the newspapers then, and. They did manage to get over and look at it, and they said it was a stone structure that went down. My wife and I have been to it. Uh, we've photoed. There's several more of them there now, and I can tell you with total authority, 100%. Very disappointing. They're sponge pens. Mm. Uh, so no, that's another story. But they basically collect sponge, put them in these pens uh, for about a year, and uh, the sponge are dead. But the, the movements of the tide and the water flow – cleans the sponges out gotcha. uh, so they can then be, be used later. So anyway, uh, Valentine started scuba diving all around Bimini because of Casey's prediction. And it was in December of 1968, Valentine was about to give up. And it was a local sponge diver who's at, a, a local fisherman there who's actually been on films. I've seen him on a lot of films. Uh, who Valentine went to in desperation and said, do you know of any rock formations? The guy said, sure, I know of one. And he said, "It's one. Uh, can you take me to it? So he took him out to it. And the way the guy, I'd never heard this till I watched the guy, uh, the, the actual uh, fisherman and the Bahamian who took him out and looked at it. He said, he, Valentine stuck his head out of the water and screamed, I found it, I found <laughs> it, I found Atlantis. Uh, Valentine took some pictures, immediately went back to Florida, uh, issued a press release. The Miami newspapers immediately picked it up. Front page newspaper. Portion of Atlantis has been found. Uh, then in 69, they found a lot. But everybody said that uh, validated Edgar Casey's statement. Uh, I do. We, in our 25 weeks of explorations down there initially, I did not ever want to go to the Bimini Road hmm. because I was convinced that it was a natural formation which is what the skeptics said it was. I was convinced it was nothing, had nothing to do with Atlantis, and it wasn't man-made. But circumstances dictated and necessitated that we had to go and look at it. When we did, I was astonished. Uh, it is not what skeptics say. It is not what they um, have written that it is. Uh, their own research that's published shows that it's not what they say it is, which is just a completely natural formation. Mm -hmm. It's pretty clearly a breakwater 
Uh, it's a forms a harbor, uh, but it, it's not from Atlantis. It would date to roughly three to five thousand BC, hmm. and Atlantis dates to ten thousand BC. Yeah, nine thousand six hundred. Yeah, so there are some thing, but there are some things there that do date to ten thousand BC underwater, but they are not. They were not found, as far as I know, in 1968 or 69. Now, also found in 1968 and 69 were a bunch of marble columns, uh, building columns like you'd see on Roman temples Hmm. uh, or Greek temples. Several of those were found. We have seen those. Uh, They are in relatively shallow water. Uh, there's also some building structures there that are underwater that are very clearly building structures that nobody's ever <clears throat> been able to do any research on. Uh, I have we've a question too, a lot of those. real sure. quick while you're on that. Absolutely. There's a picture going around and I, I've, it's, I don't know how credible it is, but there's a picture of, it's almost like an underwater picture of a pyramid off the coast of Cuba um, yep. with like structures around it. Um, that's in yeah. that same region. Is that a? Do you know if that's an authentic um, underwater, right. underwater picture or what's going on there? Well, ancient aliens made a mistake a couple of weeks ago when they did a, a a show on that, and they they put they had at the bottom of that picture it said actual side scan sonar mm. picture. Um, I, and I talked to the people that were doing this research when it was going on. It's a long involved story, but back uh, in the early 2000s when there was two a Russian and a Canadian uh, oceanographers were doing work for the Cuban government. And what they were doing was they were uh, sailing around Cuba using deep water side scan sonar. And the Cuban government was desperate to find sunken galleons to get the gold to help fund some of their activities and government activities. So that is why they were doing that research. So they found on the, it's a long story, uh, Paulina Zelitsky and her husband, whose name is almost like Weintraub, I can't pronounce it, uh, but they're the ones that did it. I talked to one of them on the boat while they were doing this because I was trying to get them to come on to a live presentation at the Casey Organization's Ancient Mysteries Conference. That's why I was talking to them. Um, They were scanning on the extreme western tip of Cuba, and it's very deep water. And what happened initially, and people just have forgotten all this, uh, they went over a massive submarine on the bottom. Their side-scan sonar picked up this submarine, Mm. Uh, the submarine was way over 300 feet long. Uh, it was very, very large and they just, they got very interested and they turned the boat around and went to an area where they hadn't been. And when they turned the boat around and scanned, then all this stuff started popping up and it looked to them like structures and sort of uniform, almost like roadways and so on. Mm -hmm. It's not perfect. So this, Uh, What happened then was they took a couple of the very best images from the side scan sonar and then a couple artists who I know uh, who did this because they wanted to let us use some of their images in some books and so on. They produced paintings 
uh, graphics that were made on computers that took some of this side scan mm. sonar and turned it into pyramids and made it look like roads and so on and made it a lot more uniform. Mm. So what you what you've seen recently is a a, a graphic artist has reconstructed. Uh, some sort of idealized version of this. Now, I have seen most of the film. Uh, one of the things that I did when this first happened, I got very excited and I started searching. Uh, and I found that in at the end of the Cuban Missile Crisis, <laughs> this is strange how it all ties mm. together. At the end of the Cuban Missile Crisis, when uh, the Soviet then Soviet Union agreed to dismantle all of their missile silos, which were made of stand-up concrete, massive slabs of stand-up concrete. They loaded all of those onto ships, and they sailed around the western tip of Cuba and dumped them. Now, we're talking about a huge amount of stuff. They dumped them into the deepest water that they could find around there, and they didn't go up the Straits of Florida because the Straits of Florida would get them closer to the United States. Mm -hmm. So they went all the way around the other way to, to go back to Russia or the Soviet Union using the Caribbean. But they dumped it all there. And my theory initially was, I wonder, it, wasn't, it was a, a possibility, I wonder if what we're seeing here are concrete slabs that have been dumped because mm. they just didn't dump them all at once. They dumped them over and dumped them over and dumped them over as they were sailing. And there were several ships that did this. And then when I saw the film, and I'm used to concrete, uh, stand-up concrete construction because I worked in prisons for a long time uh, in uh, running running programs within prisons. And pris modern prisons are made with stand-up concrete that looks just like it. That's what the film looked like to me. All the film I saw that Zelitsky and her team took uh, looked to me like stand-up concrete. Didn't look to me like blocks of stone forming pyramids or anything else. Mm. I hope it is. I hope mm. it is a... Uh, Atlantis. No, I, I mean we. That's why I was asking you because I mean number yeah. one, I appreciate your honesty, and um, I've the interesting thing w with talking to you is and why I like it is you're not just willing to say, oh yeah, that's what it is, because when we talk about these topics, there's so many people that just believe it all or believe a yeah, lot of it right. or whatever the case may be, and I think that we need more people like you and other people doing this research that are willing to say. Well, it could be this, but really this these are the circumstances and it's most likely this. And I think that yeah. there are truly unexplainable things and then there are things that can be put together. And um yeah, I, I like I said, I think that that's why um there's there's so many people that believe out there is because they listen to it's it's a echo chamber and confirmation bias and they just they just latch on. So there you go. I'm, confirmation bias. Um, I think they need to be interested. I'm still interested, fascinated with that stuff Zelitsky did and that sure. area off. I'm fascinated. I don't believe I don't believe even the theory that I propose that it is missile silo material dumped by. But you're they, open. Uh, you're open to being wrong, yeah. right? If that evidence came Absolutely. out tomorrow, said here we went down, we took samples of these pyramids. This is what it is. You know, you yeah, sure I, you I, would... that's fantastic. Yeah. yeah, I'd love it. If it was. 
No, that's again, that's awesome. That's we need more of there that. There is something that is similar to that, and it was found by an archaeologist back around 2007. Bill Donato, an archaeologist out of California, through support with the ARE, and we assisted in this, my wife and I did. He used side scan sonar at the 10,000 BC shoreline, which was which the shoreline was identified by Florida State University. Uh, he did the side scan sonar there and found something very similar mm. to what was found off of that coast of Cuba. And it is a three rows of of square and rectangular structures on the bottom. And it's unbelievably look. There's over 50 of these structures. They're all about 10 to 20 feet uh, long and they're 10 to 15 feet wide. They're in straight lines right along the shoreline. So in 10,000 BC, the the ocean levels were roughly 320 feet, 330 feet lower than they are today. So right along that shoreline is about 50 of these what look like buildings, but there's three distinct rows of them. Mm. It's unreal. So that was found. And then with the History Channel back in 2009, no, it was that 2012, my wife and I dove those. They're at 115 feet, which is about, it's beyond where divers like us should have gone. But we dove it with the History Channel. Uh, they, they showed some film of it, and they look like buildings. Uh, when I say they look like buildings, it's like the foundations. They are covered in coral. The interiors of them, it's like they're a foundation and the foundation filled with sand. But here's the weird thing. When you look at them, perfect white sand in between them. Absolute perfect white sand. Then here's that square or rectangular formation. Then you have perfect white sand for maybe 50, 60 feet. And there's another one. Perfect white sand for 50, 70 feet. Another one. It runs for over a mile mm. along the shoreline. It has never been thoroughly investigated. Of course, the Bahamian laws are you can't do anything with coral anyway. You cannot drill through it, remove it, cut it, or anything. Uh, so that kind of stymied us. But in some right. of the film we've taken, we've seen it looks like these are building structures along the 10,000 B.C. shoreline. And how do they differ from Bimini Road? Well, the Bimini Road are these massive, large, thick blocks of stone. Right that are put into a pattern. The Bimini Road is like a 600-foot-long stone formation, roughly 100 feet wide. Uh, it has several rows to it, and it's a giant J shape. It's like it goes up, and it's a J shape, which is like an enclosure. Uh, and it has these massive square and rectangular blocks. There's actually multiple layers to it. Uh, if you get under those blocks, there's times you can't get under the blocks when it, I mean, it gets covered by sand. Every time we've seen it, it looks different because every time there's a storm that goes through, sometimes it blows sand on it. Sometimes the storm blows sand off. We found a rectangular, a, a, a large rectangular building, the remains of a, what clearly was a building in 30 feet of water. Uh, about a mile south of the Bimini Road once, which some Bahamians said, look at this. We've never seen this before mm. because a hurricane had gone through and totally cleared it off. A month later, totally under sand again because other storm thunderstorms had come through, just blew the sand right back on it. But the Bimini Road has multiple tiers of stones. They are not just laying on the bottom. There are leveling blocks under them. 
And there are also stone anchors all over the place that look like Phine- the same kind. Of, I'm not saying Phoenicians were there, but at 3000 BC, it would have been. The I think Phoenicians. it's. I think it's proven that they could have been there. Um, oh, absolutely! Uh, yeah, uh, and I, I, fascinating. I mean, the stone anchors. We've actually had the stone anchors carbon dated, and people always say, "Well, you can't carbon date stone. You can carbon date." limestone beach rock hmm. because it's got carbonate material in it and it has shells and other material in it standard procedures uh it's car uh, it's radiocarbon dated all the time that's how we know that the a lot of these stone anchors go back to roughly 3000 bc or so hmm. yeah, uh, I, I, yeah it's it's fascinating um now i have a question regarding um the, the Bimini Road. So you you mentioned that there's leveling blocks underneath. So we know. Yes. So there's some other sites. So like somebody would point to Yonaguni in Japan. I think that yes. there's a scientist there that's saying, "Hey, this is just a function of the way that the waves break on here, and they chip pieces of, of this yeah. rock that break off uh, cleanly, and that's why it's got that very uh, almost like steps or like a step pyramid yeah. kind of a look to it." Um, yeah. What's the difference between like that versus what's going on at Bimini Road because obviously I've not well, been down there. Maurice hasn't been down okay. there, but so so you can make a clear. I distinction. love to go, you know. <laughs> Robert Shock actually is the one who uh, the geologist who says Yanaguni is natural, mm. although he Shock has kind of tempered that and said that well he thinks there might have been some man alteration on it. One big difference is this: Yanaguni is a massive single stone that looks like it's been carved into steps and square formations right. and little channels in between it. But you know they're all perfectly straight and so on, and it is very uniform. I have not been to Yanaguni, so I can't talk about it firsthand. But I know it's like a one massive piece of stone. Mm-hmm. Bimini, on the other hand, is made up of uh, the blocks there. Uh, most of them are roughly four or five feet long, two, three, four feet wide, and about a foot thick, foot and a half thick. So you have all these blocks, and, and they're very, many of them are very uniform in that they have straight edges, squared off uh, corners, uh, rectangular and square, and some of them are incredibly uniform like they've been placed together. So that's the difference. It's made up of lots of smaller blocks as opposed to Yanaguni being one massive hunk of stone. Right. So the skeptics will tell you that, oh, it was all one big piece of stone, which is natural beach rock, which beach rock forms uh, in salt water in the Atlantic Ocean. Beach rock forms all the time. You can see it on coastal uh, Bimini if you walk along the coast there. And you'll see it tilting toward deep water. So I'll stick my hand up, and it's like if this is the coastline, the beach rock tilts toward the deep water gotcha. like that. Okay. And the reason is waves come over it with your tides. And as waves come over it, they push sand and they push carbonate material, which then dries. Uh, and it also pushes little shells and material on it. And as that stuff dries, the carbonate begins to solidify, and it solidifies the uh, the tiny little shells from creatures and broken shell and so on, and it forms rock. And beach rock has always been a great building formation for 
uh, harbors. In fact, the Romans and the Phoenicians did it in the Mediterranean. That is how they built the hundreds of similar formations in the Mediterranean that are all harbors. And over there, beach rock is sandstone. It's different. But it all the sandstone can also be uh, carbon dated if you can get the shell out of it. And the sandstone solidifies too. Mm. So it's a naturally occurring phenomenon. You can see it happening uh, on the shoreline of Bimini. So skeptics said that the Bimini Road all tilts toward the deep water. But it doesn't. Even in their own publications, it doesn't. It is leveled. It's got these really amazing. We got some great photos of this of perfectly square blocks that are like this thick, about eight to ten inches thick, yeah. perfectly square that were rammed up under and pounded. And there's wedge stones. It's like a V-shaped stone that's real big, and they'd stick that under, and then they'd pound that to lift all the blocks on the top up to make them perfectly level. There are loads there's of no, those. There's no picks online. Because I, I was looking when I said when we were doing that Atlanta ah. stuff. I, I've, I've yet to see. You can see the tops of them and, like, scuba divers swimming over them kind of a thing. I have I yeah. published a whole bunch of articles um uh, and what I'll do is uh, I'll email you this long report I did on the difference, what the skeptics said and what we found. And I have probably 50 photos in there of the Bimini Road, of what's under it, and all these blocks I'm talking about. Be glad to. Talk, yeah, I'll, absolutely. I'll send you that. That sounds interesting. Nice. Uh, and it's all, you can use anything in it, uh, but we've got, we have more pictures than we can ever use thousands and thousands of course we started this before we had underwater digital cameras so we had to take actual photographs <laughs> underwater using film look out yeah i mean what i would like yeah. to do actually is you just did an amazing job of describing that maybe take some of those pictures and put it over the clip of you talking about i'd be great sure like that. um yeah so that was one prediction the atlantis prediction um another prediction and i don't have the quote here but he talks about the stock market crash of uh Yes. 1929 and how the bear yep. the bear market's going to fall or something like that and there's going to be fi yep. financial distress um and that was before obviously the great depression and the stock market collapse and everything like I'm that. I'm looking at those 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 readings right now that you're okay. talking about. I had it written down right in front of me here. Do you have can you read it or is it too Sure. Okay. Uh he said this was the first reading he gave was in 1925 about it. Uh a physician asked him uh, about investing, and he told him, uh, he said that you're going to make a great deal of money um, if you invest in these stocks. And he said, but in 1929, exercise great caution because some adverse forces are going to come into play. And then in March 1929, six months before the crash, uh, a New York stockbroker uh, was getting a reading from Casey. Uh, and Casey said there would be a considerable disturbance to financial circles and a bear market. And his exact quote then at the end, and as he said, this warning has been given. Uh, and he off that's the terminology he often used. Uh, so that that was his supposed his well not supposed that was his prediction. Mm. The two about the stock market and those are genuine. Those are all the actual readings uh, that were done then. Uh, the the typed readings, everything was typed out then. Uh, they're housed in the foundations, uh, the Edgar Casey Foundation, which is really a locked area of the ARE 
in Virginia Beach. And how many, all accessible? How many readings Fine. total uh, at, at the end of his? Was it like fourteen thousand, sixteen thousand? It was a lot, right? Uh, there were there were fourteen thousand. They the ARE says there's fourteen thousand three hundred. I think at four, fourteen thousand three hundred and some odd number of fully documented readings where every single word that he said is is in those, mm. uh, and those are uh, there's. There's a printout of them all in the ARE library, and there's over 50,000 pages of those. Uh, they have the original pages in this, um, uh, basically a massive safe that is climate controlled, and then it's all digitized for members to access and, and do a search online. Uh, but before they got their stenographer, uh, so all the readings roughly from 1922 to his death in 45. Every single reading was recorded that way, all of them without exception. Uh, there are, however, two of those uh, that were given to or loaned to the people who asked for them, and they were never returned, so there's no record of that. But before that, um, and I actually have it here, this is a uh, an article published in 1922 mm. in the uh, Birmingham Age Herald uh, and skeptics actually led me to this, and I got a copy of it and gave it to the ARE several years ago. But Edgar said that uh, uh, he had done then, and it's the same time that he got the stenographer Gladys Davis to work for them. But before that, he'd done roughly 8,000 uh, readings. Um, and to, up to that point, no one had, had reported anything adverse Uh Doctors then, loads of doctors were already studying Casey and actually working with him then. So there were roughly 8,000. So I would say he probably did twenty two to 25,000 readings altogether uh, in his lifetime. To jump back real quick wow. to, the, to the Atlantis thing, do you think that, um, do you think it's possible that maybe, and I'm not saying that this isn't the case, but do you think it's possible that maybe he did via his meditation or what when he got into that mode um i know sleep but when he get when he got to that place where he was getting all this information from do you think that he possibly could have seen an ancient civilization there and assumed it was atlantis or do you think that it was very clear to him through no. whatever way or another that it was atlantis it was atlantis okay uh, it's very clear in what he meant by that he actually gave they gave dedicated readings to atlantis uh, when he would tell the whole story. Um, and Casey's story was Atlantis was basically an island empire that extended from the uh, Gibraltar all the way over uh, and included all the islands in the Caribbean. Uh, and he said that there were initially uh, three main islands that broke into five, mm. uh, and then they eventually broke up into all the smaller islands you see there. And Andrew Collins believes that Cuba was the main island. Um, another story there. But mm. um, he also said that you could see that the Atlanteans uh, also were in the Yucatan Peninsula uh, and in uh, parts of South America, too. Uh, the the purest Atlanteans remaining today uh, are the Iroquois tribe. Uh, he said that the Re the Atlanteans, he's one of the few people, uh, psychics, who actually talked about, you know, if you want to say a master race, which he never used that term, but he said the, the, the Atlanteans uh, were the red race, that Native Americans were their uh, descendants, mm. uh, and they weren't white. 
the Atlant the ancient Atlanteans were a red race. Uh, but it, it extended all the way across the series of islands. Uh, Plato kind of said the same thing. Plato talked about a, lar- a single large island, but he said that you could hop island to island from Gibraltar, which he called the Pillars of Hercules. Mm. You'd hop island to island across the Atlantic, the true ocean, and you'd reach the opposite continent, which, of course, nobody then supposedly knew about the opposite continent. Right. So, so Casey said sort of the same thing. Uh, Kate, the difference with Casey and Plato, Plato really didn't give a beginning. Well, he told the story of how Atlantis was founded, mm. but he didn't say when he just said in the ancient past. Um, and, but he didn't, he said Poseidon started it, but Casey gave a date. Casey said it was about 210,000 years ago that Atlantis started. I thought Plato did if I'm not mistaken, say it was 9,600 years exactly. That's when it. That's when it disappeared. Right. Oh, you're saying when it actually. Yeah, Plato. Oh, okay. St- My bad. There's a, yeah, Plato said it was uh, 9,600 9,000 years ago that when it disappeared, and that was in 600 BC when gotcha. the story was was came from. So that's where the 9,600 comes from. Edgar Casey said that it was. Casey didn't give an exact date for its destruction. Casey said that in 10,000 BC, the Atlantean priests became aware that it was going to be destroyed, and so that's when they started this. Um, plan to save the records of Atlantis and establish the halls of record. That's another thing that, of, of Bimini that became so important. One of the three halls of records, of course, the famous one is supposedly in Egypt under the right paw of the Sphinx. That's right but where Casey's, I was going. <laughs> yep. Casey said there's three of those. The other one is a temple near Bimini, Hmm. Uh, which we my wife, we may have actually found that. That's another story. Uh, we underwater can't or yeah, it's underwater. Okay, uh, it's very clearly the remains of a collapsed building that is made of schist, polished schist that has schist. By the way, is the type of stone that the Oracle of Delphi is made out of. Right, it's made of polished schist, uh, and we had that schist. Um, analyzed by three American universities that became fascinated with where it came from. They said it can't be from there. Uh, and it is uh, in water that's about 20 to, t- to 30 feet deep. It's roughly 30 miles south of Bimini, very remote area. Uh, it's an area that wasn't explored by all those early people in the 60s trying to find Casey's Atlantis. Uh, but when it was discovered, when we reported it, the Bahamians changed the laws, and actually, this is going to sound really weird to you, uh, a higher up with the Microsoft Corporation has filed a salvage claim on this building mm. where uh, we told him about. We told him about the building. He said Microsoft, Microsoft funds a lot of archaeological research. Microsoft became interested in getting the remains of this building and rebuilding it. Mm. in place. Uh, so the guy wound up going and taking a look at it, the guy that's the head of this, and he filed a salvage claim on it because the bah- the Bahamas government then told our people in uh, the Bahamas that a salvage claim had been filed on it by this guy, and he couldn't take anybody back there. So that's how we found out about it. I haven't heard from him since. Long involved story and all that. 
Uh, and You'll we'll hear about him what, again when he's the king of uh, Atlas. Yeah, right. yeah when maybe. He's the Atlantean yeah. king. <laughs> yeah, he, there he, you go. When he gets back on his throne. Um, yeah, rise again. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I mean, all this is um, just fascinating. I do want to uh, ask you one thing, though, before we get to the Sphinx and, and all that. Um, when he's doing these readings, he's known as the sleeping prophet. He goes into this sleep-like yes. state. Was yeah. he completely in a deep sleep, or is it more of like yeah. a lucid dreaming type state? Like, no, what was? No, nope. okay. He was gone. It's oh, okay. like a type of hypnosis where you have total amnesia when you come out of it. Mm. He ha- he never remembered what was said in the meetings and. Uh, it, this is one of the things that really disturbed him. He was working with doctors, and doctors uh, initially could not believe what they were saying because at that time, hypnosis was relatively new. Mm. And at that time, it was called mesmerism anyway. Uh, so they were testing him out by like th- the final straw was when a doctor rammed a knitting needle through his uh, cheek and had it come out his mouth when he mm. was doing a reading because the doctor thought he was faking. But they stuck needles into him. Uh, the knitting needle was the final one. They did the the severe pinching and gashing in him. Uh, some of them cutting cut him during it. Damn. Uh, but he had no memory whatsoever of what occurred, and it usually astonished him. That's why they started to. That's why they decided that they really needed to have every single word taken down by a stenographer, because uh, Edgar himself wanted to know what in the world am I saying under under these things. Uh, so he would go into this type of semi-hypnotic trance. He used the same procedure every time. The couch that he used is in the uh, ARE. It's in the an area where you can see his actual couch where he did most of the readings. Uh, he did readings. He did uh, really four types of readings. He did health readings for people, for individuals. He did readings on um, spirituality health, spirituality, and then there's this stuff about ancient history, and then there's kind of a hodgepodge, which Mm -hmm. are things like predictions, uh, where people might want to know about oil, which is how the Atlantis readings all started. There was a group of people that that had bought land in Bimini, and they wanted to know if there was oil under that land, and that's where Atlantis popped out of. That was in 1923. Interesting. Uh, so that's how that came out. Uh, they were asking him where oil was, and he said, "No, there's no oil there." But this was once the highest. Uh, this is now the highest portion of what was once uh, the continent of the Poseidians. Uh, and the guys doing the reading or the trying to get the reading, they didn't care about that at all. They just skipped over it. But the next time that they did a reading, it popped out and they got into more detail on it. Did he ever mention the Azores? Because that was when 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 we did yes. our, our video on it, I found some interesting information. The Azores is where three tectonic plates converge, um, yeah. which is kind of unusual for that spot. Um, also... There's the mythology behind the highest peaks being, or the mountains there, uh, the highest peaks that are peaking up now is what's left of what yeah. know, used to be there. Um, yeah. And also it's close to the entrance. Uh, if you were talking about like the Straits of Gibraltar, that's where you would emerge yeah. into that area. Uh, so, yeah. I, And we came to the conclusion that, again, similar to what you're saying, that it was more of like a global ancient civilization you know, route between 
Europe and Africa all the way down to North yeah. America. So um, I was just curious if he had anything to say about that. He did. He did. He did say that the islands in the middle of the Atlantic uh, were uh, the Canaries included uh, were a part of the island empire of Atlantis. But he was pretty clear that the the main uh, the ruling part with the biggest cities uh, were the main islands in the Caribbean. Mm. And at that time, in 10,000 B.C., um, the Great Bahama Bank and the Little Bahama Bank were each a massive island. So you had Cuba and those two, which can, which which took up virtually all the islands of the Bahamas. Uh, and remember, Casey said there were three ma- large islands that broke up then into five and then broke up into loads of small ones. Right. But uh, he made it very clear that is where the... Um, the center city of Atlantis was, which is what everybody really wants to find, the circular city that has the rings of land and the canals and the Temple of Poseidon in the middle on what he called a hill. Uh, that's what everybody is is hoping to find. And that's why they zeroed in on Santorini. Yeah. Uh, because it's a certain but but Plato never said that it was a circular island. The the center city was a circular city that was made out of canals, but the center city was at the base, the southernmost part of an island that was 300 miles long right. and 200 miles wide and had a huge mountain to the north. Yeah, that was just so, probably another, I mean, Thera was probably just another location. I mean, we just made a yeah. m- movie on ancient Greece, uh, megalithic structures, and I found this one island. It's called Daskalio. It's off the coast yeah. of Keros where... Um, they, the people chipped away at it to give it that pyramid like shape. And there's a lot of archeology span that suggests it was kind of a precursor to what modern or, uh, uh, classical Greece, um, that we right. think of was, but, uh, so yeah, I have no doubt that there was people living on these islands. I just think that that was probably a later, uh, time that that was going on. But, yeah. um, I want to kind of jump now to the whole Sphinx and, uh, the uh, the Hall of Records because I think that's what he's in terms of like these um, mystical uh, groups and and things that you know you, people usually talk about it's definitely probably the yeah. top if not the top that's it you're right that's the main thing uh, so he said there were three Hall of Records that were established around ten ten thousand BC uh, one group left the main islands uh, in the Caribbean. Uh, and went to Egypt. And in Egypt, they put this underground record hall under, it's a, it's a, it's a room carved out of stone under the right paw of the Sphinx. Um, and it, he was pretty specific about what it contained. And he said, but they made an identical, the records are identical in three places in case any of them got destroyed. Another set of records were put in a temple near Bimini they were put there and he said that one in in his later readings he said that temple went underwater he mm. said you'll now find it and he used the term under the slime of ages uh, and then the third one was in the Yucatan uh, in a building there in a structure there under the shadow of a large pyramid on the top of a hill uh, my wife and I also made an expedition to where that spot is. That is Piedras Negras, Guatemala. Uh, that was one of the most dangerous and stupid things we ever did, but it was also one of the most interesting things. And we made uh, a video about that. And as it turned out, the National Geographic wound up using a lot of that film that we made. Mm. 
Um, but so there's these three record halls. Uh, almost the moment that Casey talked about it, people started going to Bimini and looking for it. Of course, they didn't find it. Uh, and nobody went to the Yucatan. They just speculated where it might be, although it's very clear now that it's at this place called Piedras Negras. But most people went to Egypt. In fact, in the 1950s, two female members of the ARE went to Egypt and managed, these are just two very average people, managed to get permission from the Egyptian government to drill holes mm. into the ground by the white right paw of the Sphinx. Mm. Can you believe that? I, Amazing. It's crazy. Now you and can't even get they, near it. I know. Yeah. Well, they, they believe that they, they believed that they found uh, that there was some sort of an opening down there, which later now we know there's something there. And Zahi Hawass, of course, says it's just a large crack down there that it's not a building or anything or a structure. Yeah, isn't there a um, lot of like thermal? There's a lot of scanning, actual scientific proof that there is yes. something there. There, there's something. There is something there, and Zahi just calls it a crack. <laughs> now, of course, Zahi Hawass is an interesting character in himself. And Zahi's going to be at the ARE. He's scheduled to speak at the ARE this year in October. Zahi has a long-running relationship with the Edgar Casey organization, and he was very close friends with Edgar Casey's son, Hugh Lynn Casey, mm. who helped Zahi get into the University of Pennsylvania, and the ARE was going to pay Zahi's tuition in his Ph.D. program at the University of Pennsylvania where the ARE had a lot of connections at that time. Long involved story. Hmm. Uh, so Zahi has had a close connect. I, I figure Zahi's probably given talks at the ARE a minimum of 20 times over the years, at least 20 times. Uh, yeah, but he's an Zahi, interesting guy because he's kind of, it's kind of a weird dichotomy because uh, he, um, he's, he talks, you know, shit about Graham Hancock and all these people, yep. Robert Bavall, all their crazy crackpot theories, walks out of debates, all this stuff. Uh, and then he appears on Ancient Aliens the next year. Uh, uh, on a, on Zahi a is, here's the bottom line. Zahi is willing to take money to to appear in these things. Yeah. That's, that, that's what I would say the bottom line is, to get paid and go in. Uh, Zahi is consistent, though, even if he's paid, he's consistent that he doesn't believe there's a hollow records there. And I think he's taking the mainline skeptical approach to maintain his credibility within archaeological circles. Mm. Uh, but I do, I do know that Zahi's. I, I've become quite aware that archaeologists have less awareness of things outside their own little focal point. Uh, Zahi was clueless about Gobekli Tepe, even ten years after Gobekli Tepe was discovered and, sure. and, po and, and made popular. He didn't even know it existed. He had no idea what it was. That is very clear. Um, and there's lots of others like that that they just don't yeah, was it know. Naptaplaya, that's in uh, Sudan, not that far from... Uh, I don't... I, I, it, that's like an ancient stone. It's like the ancient... I, I know what it is. Yeah, Andrew's yeah, been there yeah. and he's talked about it, but that's outside of my little sure, area too. Sure. I'm, I'm a little... I'm, I'm focused. I got you. Uh, although I do... <laughs> yeah, I do know about Gobekli Tepe, but sure. uh, places where I've been, um, I usually study up on a lot. I respect Zahi in a way, and part of the problem is Zahi came up in a culture that is dominated by male bravado, 
and having to know everything and having to be the expert. And uh, you can't put up with any kind of criticism. You have to attack back. Um, Mm. but anyway yeah i mean we've said some things in the past i think i was we've been a little hard on them however i there is like i said there is some weird contradicting hypocritical you know have you had andrew on where he talks about the discovery of what even zahi calls collins caves the caves under giza i would love to have andrew we have not had andrew if you could help arrange that that'd be great i can arrange it for you probably in the next week or so if you want him to do it let's do it andrew discovered a set of k again with the are support and uh i was in contact with andrew regularly during this whole thing he and his then wife and a friend who is an egyptologist uh in in england they went and they followed up on some research and they discovered a cave system, which was totally unknown. Uh, and that was in 2009. Uh, after they discovered it, and of course, the AR, uh, they informed the ARE, who had uh, f- funded a lot of this research. They went to Zahi Hawass and presented him with the evidence and their photographs. Uh, Zahi scoffed at it. There is a f- documentary that I made called the lost caves of giza it is available for free on youtube it has had about one and a half million views on youtube uh it lasts i believe 58 minutes uh it's also available on amazon prime and everything else i'm gonna watch that later uh the lost lost caves of giza uh, and it really shows the whole thing it explains what zahi said there were there were no caves there they knew everything already. It was impossible. There were no caves there. And do you remember the show Chasing Mummies? Yes, yes. Zahi yeah. did this series with the History Channel called Chasing Mummies. Mm-hmm. And one of the last shows, of course, it, w- it was canceled after its first season, but one of the last shows in its first season was called Bats, B-A-T-S. Mm. And the reason they called Watch it out. that is Zahi went into this this system to disprove the pyramidians that there are no caves here. Zahi had to be shown the entrance, which he didn't even know existed. Hmm. And they went in, they went 330 feet into this cave system, which heads directly toward the great pyramid. Uh, Zahi had said none of this existed, but it was filled with bats. And Zahi is like a, like a child in here going, oh, oh, I hate bats, the worst thing ever. So that's why it was called bats, because they were all over in this cave system. Uh, But they used lighting, took an archaeologist in, and ended right where Andrews ended. And you'll see the pictures on the film I told you, the documentary that that I made called The Lost Caves of Giza. You'll see this tube. Uh, The tube is about 20 inches across, 20 inches in diameter and this tube goes in the archaeologist crawled up to where you couldn't see his feet and he said okay it splits off but i'm scared i'm gonna get caught here and so he says so it doesn't go any further mm-hmm. and and you can't hear what he says and the guy backs out because he was afraid to keep going in it sure uh but he said oh i've disproved the pyramidians there is no cave system here although he's in the exact same cave system that went 330 feet and that's exactly what andrew's book called beneath the pyramid mm-hmm. said because the are that was the are publishing house that published the book on it and of course, the film has everything in it too. So watch that. It's called yeah. the Lost 
Caves of Giza. Free on YouTube. I'll put the link in the video so people can watch it. Excellent. Later too. Excellent. Um, Beautiful. What if Indiana Jones stopped, you know, when snakes, you know, in the pit with all the snakes? What if, what if that, you know? Um, well, Andrew and his wife did stop when they got to the tube because she started crawling into it and she heard something. Uh, and it scared her. And they didn't have, they call them torches. The, the Brits call flashlight a torch. Right. And they said, all we had were small torches. Uh, and they didn't, they were not prepared. They had no idea that they were actually going to find this thing. They were hoping to. Uh, and they made, they were stopped by the authorities there. They were almost arrested one time uh, when they went in. All that's on the film. They explain it all in the film. Uh, so you'll see it there. So I, I do want to point out, though. So, like I said, we've been kind of hard on Zahi in the past. I will say that he has appeared on Ancient Aliens. He has at least yeah. talked with some of these alternative researchers and authors and stuff like that. He And there is another level, too. There are harder core academics and harder core archaeologists that think even mm-hmm. Zahi Hawass's fringe if you will because I've, yeah. ta- I've talked with some of those people on reddit before so there is like this the different levels of things and where some people might not like you know there's a lot of like people that say crazy stuff about that he's hiding the truth and he has all these yeah. answers i don't think that that's the case at all if anything i think that he's just maybe dismissive in certain areas where maybe he should be a little bit more open-minded as well should other academics but um, I heard I heard Zahi say something really interesting the last time that I uh, heard him at the ARE, which wasn't that many, just a few years ago he was there. And Zahi was bemoaning the fact that he had people uh, that were breaking into his house in Cairo because they were all convinced Zahi had a tunnel system. And this is the, this was the rumor that there's a tunnel system from Zahi's bathroom that goes under to the Hall of Records. <laughs> His bathroom. <laughs> His bathroom. If there's a tunnel, so at least make it like a vault or a secret. I know. Well, you know. why they cho- – because I guess you'd think that there wouldn't be, and it was hidden. Yeah. That the tunnel entrance was hidden in his bathroom, and it went to the Hall of Records. And, yes, people had been breaking into his house trying to get to that tunnel. And there were – I did see films which are now offline. There was a a – the very strange group of people that were, I'll call them strange. I'll put it this way. They were out there kind of out, even for me, they're mm-hmm. out there that were claiming that there was a massive cover up in Egypt. The Egyptians were pulling all the hall of records materials out and they had put up film and so on, all of which is now gone. Uh, and they claim Zahi was doing this secretly at night. Uh, so he actually did have a lot of issues that were occurring from this. And there's one more thing. Uh, Egypt is Egypt's whole lifeblood is tourism. And so Egypt needs to remain to be seen as mysterious. And they love being seen as part of the cradle of civilization and where it all started. Mm -hmm. Uh, Gobekli Tepe is older than anything in Egypt. Mm. American Indian mounds, South American Indian mounds are older than anything in Egypt. Mm -hmm. Uh, the evidence of, of, um, uh, civilization around the world shows pretty much that Egypt was, while the pyramids are incredible, the 110 or so pyramids that we know that are in Egypt are incredible, but there's far older and more uh, amazing things around the world. Uh, South America to me is, and and the Yucatan, the Yucatan someday, if they ever excavate it, it's going to be one solid 
one solid thing of cities and buildings and pyramids and roads. The whole thing was like that once. Mm -hmm. And South American structures and building, there are no stones in Egypt except for that one giant obelisk, which is still in the ground. Um, There's nothing that compares with some of the South American structures like at Saxuaman, uh, Cusco, um, Olentambo. Some of those things are just incredible. Mm -hmm. So Zahi has to keep Egypt as being important for tourism. Sure. Uh, and I thoroughly understand that. That is their lifeblood. I think, too, um, Egypt's, like you mentioned, all these other more ancient, I think it's just Egypt because there's other things. It's not just the megalithic structures. Yes, they have yeah. a, They have an example of what everybody thinks about when they think about these things. They are like the yeah. beacon of that. However, the Egyptians were fascinated with the afterlife and they've got the book of the dead. They've got the pantheon of gods that were, you know, the, the Lord's prayer, which was taken from a prayer to Pitas now ingrained in Christianity. Um, yeah. So, I mean, there's all these things that um, I think it's this catalyst for what we know is like the modern world. You know, it was the first yeah. uh, conduit to what we know is modern civilization and society. Not that Gobekli Tepe is not important. I think it's probably the most important, but that we know of right now, but yeah, we don't know yet. Right. Yeah. Um, uh, no, I don't deny that Egypt and Mesopotamia were incredibly important. Absolutely. Um, so, it, but specifically, was there anything in particular in the Hall of Records that he mentioned that uh, maybe people don't know? Because, I mean, there's a lot of information out there on, like, some of the basics, and uh, it's just the records of humanity to that point, that kind of a yeah, thing. Specifically. But, um, is there specifically, any... Specifically. Yeah. 32 stone tablets. That's pretty specific. Yeah. Those stone tablets are carved on both sides and all the edges, and there's carved in something that is that Casey said was similar to hieroglyphics, but it would once they were found, it would take some years for them to be deciphered. What they contain is the history of, of Atlantis and humanity. Remember, Casey said Atlantis started around 200, 210,000 BC, and it started with a new type of human that had evolved and suddenly appeared at that time. Um, and a, a, a whole new race of humanity. Um, in addition, there are some mummies. He said there are weapons that mm. they had, including spears uh, and other weapons and some shields. He mentioned those. Uh, but there was a, um, a diagram in stone of the uh, firestone. So the firestone is depicted symbolically on a stone there, on a stone slab that shows what he called the firestone, which is a uh, crystal that could be tuned uh, that was used for two things. One was spiritual purpose, and the other was for energy. Uh, he believed that a mistuning of the of this crystal firestone caused the destruction of Atlantis, uh, the second destruction of Atlantis, not the third. Casey said there were three distinct destructions. Uh, he said that there were that there was clothing uh, that was kept in the Hall of Records also. So you have some clothing, some mummies, uh, some weapons, some um, diagrams of some weapons, and some energy sources, mm. and there was a complete written history, written in stone, because stone lasts, uh, and it, it would uh, stand the test of time. Uh, written material would not stand the test of 10,000 years. It simply would right. not exist. So that's what's in the Hall of Records. 
Mm. That's pretty specific. That is pretty specific. Yeah. I know we have our own Hall of Records in the U.S., right, behind the Mount Rushmore. They put some sort yes. of little uh, vault there in case something happens, which is a great place because yeah. I think I was watching something. Obviously, it's made out of stone, but um, if everything were to go away, um, we were to go away. Another, again, the only things that would be left standing a thousand years from now, Great Pyramid, uh, Mount Rushmore, any st- yeah. massive stone structure, because all the other stuff yeah. erodes. But um, yeah, let's... I need to update that thing. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, with Corona stuff going on. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, I was gonna say when you were talking about those bats, I was gonna say don't eat the bat. <laughs> yeah, um, <laughs> but... that's good advice anytime. <laughs> <laughs> but to wrap it up here. Um, is is there anything else you wanted to add to it before we close it out, or is that? Uh... Oh, there's there's so much. I mean, we, we could have done we like have... two more hours I, at least. I mean, yeah, we, we could easily. Go on and, yeah. I know. but but yeah, people don't listen. Definitely a wealth before. of knowledge, that's for sure. Yeah, well, folks will fall over in, in, in two hours and can't take it, but we'll do it again sometime. Uh, no, uh, it's always a pleasure with you guys. I will uh, send me an email. I'll get Andrew to agree to do this. Andrew uses the same. Uh, methods that we're using here he he's probably right now is probably a good time because england is under a three-week mandatory stay in your house declaration Mm -hmm. and i actually talked to andrew over uh zoom last uh two nights ago for quite a while uh discussing the book that we're working on right now so he's under this stay at home order so this would be a good time to do it um but anyway it's it's yeah, it's always a pleasure. Yeah, you can find out about my books by going on just Google Gregory L. Little, uh, and I will pop up in one of those little knowledge things, and it shows a lot of books. Or go on Amazon and do it, uh, or go on APMagazine.info or whatever. Uh, but I just Google my name, and and books will pop up. And some of them are available, some of them are out of print because I've been around a long time. Yeah, I have all the links down below the video, and I'm going to add the link uh, to your movie about the Egyptian caves under there Excellent. as well. Um, and, uh, yeah, thanks again for coming on. You can check us out at uh, MikeAndMauriceMindEscape.com. Uh, you can also check us out at Patreon at Patreon.com slash MikeAndMaurice. Uh, for $2 a month, you'll get exclusive content, interviews, and episodes. We actually have one with Dr. Gregory where he explains uh, Native American metaphysics. It's a great oh. 10 minute or so uh, little spiel there. Check that out. And That's worth them paying. I can tell you that. <laughs> that bit of Beautiful. info. Oh yeah. yeah. No, I, I found it fascinating and uh, we did get a good response from the people that uh, are already patrons. So we appreciate that. And um, yeah, that's, that's it. If you please subscribe to our channel and definitely check out all of Dr. Gregory's books and uh, movies and everything. And we'll get you on again. Cause like I said, I mean, you're one of my favorite guests because you're so easy to talk oh, to. You, wow. you have a Same. you have a wealth of knowledge, and it's just a normal conversation. And then we get to ask you questions that we find interesting, and you have answers. So, cool, cool guys. I appreciate it a lot. You guys are great, and stay safe. Everybody needs Thanks, to you stay too. safe. Yeah, stay inside, All everybody. Right. If you don't have to go anywhere, don't go anywhere, and just chill out. Watch a movie. Read a book tap into your spiritual self something along those lines stay busy though this this too shall pass there you go yeah all right i'm gonna watch that documentary that's what i'm doing me too very cool all right folks have a good one peace